there you all are now again welcome once again to the irish in sweden podcast my name is philip o'connor and over the course of one fairly long interview this week we're going to be talking about the subject of mental health and the kind of services that are available to people here in sweden and the kind of things that irish people suffer from in sweden and we're also going to be talking about the subject of adhd with mark ennis uh, Mark has lived here for a long time, he reached out to me before Christmas there and uh, we're sort of trying to get this interview together for a little while. He was diagnosed at the age of 54 with ADHD, um, always a real sort of high achiever, that kind of thing. And it was just one of those aha moments where he realised, oh, hang on a second, now I get this, you know. So we talked uh, over the weekend for a pretty long time about various different things. He's involved in a whole load of different organizations to help spread the gospel, if you like, about mental health. And I suppose the purpose of the conversation is to try to let people in the Irish community here know that there is help available, that there is help available in Swedish, but also to talk a little bit about where some of our issues come from. Mark talks very frankly about his family background and the effect that that had on him and on his mental health, on living away from home. You'll hear a conversation or part of the conversation about being you know the, the sense of loneliness the fact that you know when we're away from home when you're on your own away from home you're really on your own i always tell my kids that i go back to when i moved to greece first to work for a summer in 1991 and i finally realized what you know being alone was or being on your own was when i was hand washing clothes uh, under the greek sunshine in the summer of 1991 and realizing all i have really is me and the mate who was with me and it was just the two of us and that was it you know and it's fairly daunting task and you know the older you get and the more your responsibilities grow the worse uh, that the, the bigger a burden that can be i suppose is the best way about it and uh, mark talks a lot about stress as well and to be honest between you and me i am up the bleeding walls at the moment so uh in a week's time or so i'm going to be heading off to the winter olympics in china and you'll be seeing reports in the media at the moment, especially in Sweden, you know, about cybersecurity and about COVID and about Omicron and bubbles and burner phones and you can't bring your laptop and all this kind of thing. And that's all true, right? So we're being advised that, you know, as journalists working uh, professionally, that, you know, don't bring a phone. They're going to target you. They're going to target your phone. They want your details. They want your contacts. They want all sorts of things. So we're bringing all stuff that's basically going to get wiped as soon as we come back. But what that means practically for you and me is that I've been trying to get as many podcasts in the bag as possible because don't want to go away and leave you. There's lovely people who've signed up on patreon.com forward slash Aeroman in Stockholm. They're paying every month and they don't care about uh, the Chinese trying to get themselves into my MacBook, right? They want to hear the podcast every Monday or every Tuesday or once a week, bringing you the best and the brightest from the Irish community here in Sweden. And I desperately want to give that to them. And if people want to support that, they can do that via Swish uh, to 123 aforementioned patreon.com forward slash airman stockholm or they can uh, email irish and sweden podcast at gmail.com if they want to sponsor it but so that has been mad now you know because there's been one interview after the other and okay which interviews do i put together some of them are people who are from the nordic region not necessarily from sweden but you're trying to make the whole thing you know you're trying to make proper programs that, that you all can enjoy and now i have to load up all of them before i go and then I have to do the social media posts. So, you know, if you can do something, just follow the podcast wherever you get it. If you get it on Spotify, just click on the follow button and that way it'll come up automatically and you won't have to be waiting on a post on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm going to try to do all those things, but sometimes when you upload to SoundCloud and it doesn't allow Facebook to recognise that it's there, the links go all wrong and the whole thing is just a bleeding mess. So uh, I'm left with sort of three weeks of podcast trying to get up there and how I'm going to get my laptop in there and PCR tests and if that goes, right, you know yourself. So yeah, uh, to cut a long story short we covered the subject of stress in the conversation with Mark Ennis as well 
Um, the one thing I have been concentrating a lot on lately is asking you to share the podcast, right? There's still people in the Irish community in Sweden. It's going to take us a little while, but they still don't know it exists. Uh, there's still brilliant people getting in touch with me and saying oh, how much they're enjoying it. And I'm really grateful to them. I'm really grateful to everybody who swished or everybody who signed up on Patreon. Uh, it's brilliant to be able to keep this thing going, you know, but we still need to reach. There's still a lot of people out there um, talking to Helen Cabin Bailand out in um, Sigtuna about her job as Deputy Chief Executive there. That seems to have helped us reach a whole bunch of new people. You know, she's moving in a circle out there and among Irish people that maybe I didn't have direct access to, even if, you know, people sort of are aware of your existence. So share it out there. Make sure you subscribe to it and it will pop up uh, in your feed. I'm hoping to put them out at like 7 o'clock each Monday morning. Uh, and the only reason I'm doing that is because I know Kevin Carroll is on his way to work and if he needs something to get him through the day, whether he listens at 7 o'clock in the morning or not, I don't know. You'll have to ask him. But I want to give him the option. Maybe he does it when he's going home in the evening, picking up the few bits and pieces to make the dinner leak out. Whenever you listen to it in the gym, if you're out walking, as Mark will later recommend in this episode, go do it. Enjoy yourself. Uh, but without further ado, I suppose we get into this conversation. This is a very little long one. You may have noticed over the last while that um, most of the episodes tend to be two interviews. You know, they're you know, 15 to 20, 25 minutes long, depending on the person, depending on what we're talking about. But this one is a fairly long one because I really thought it was worth getting into the weeds of Mark's background. Because you have two things. You have the environmental factors that made his life and, and him as a person turn out the way he did. But also the diagnosis, which is sort of hardwired into, into his brain of ADHD. And I just thought it was w- worth discussing those things in as much detail as possible so this is the chat that i had about uh, with mark ellis about mental health and about minding yourselves and you never know i might turn up at the end of it just to say goodbye and tell you what's coming up soon i suppose mark we were just we were already starting to get into things there just before i pressed record yeah. but um a little bit of the background at the age of 54 you were diagnosed yeah. with adhd adhd um, ADHD, absolutely. What what was your life like up to that point? At what point did you think, hang on a second, there's something here that I want to know a little bit more about? Yeah, well, I, I'll be honest. Um, my life was fine, but if you were to ask the people who were in my life at the time, they might have a completely different experience. Um, ADHD is best described as a type of fuel. In other words, you can be a great criminal, you can be a great business entrepreneur, you can be a great artistic person. And the ADHD, depending how it matches with your personality, your background, your own resources. In my case, it was a workaholic. So um, to be honest, uh, it wasn't actually me. It was um, the lady who was with me at the time. She said, well, you, you need to get this checked out. And, and basically speaking, why she said this, she did have a number of, a little bit of experience as well. She had she had um, some people in her own uh, group who had been diagnosed as adults with ADHD, which is actually quite rare. ADHD is something we we, 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 say, we tend to think of uh, younger people. Um, but in this case, um, well, I was, uh, how shall I put it? I was, I was very, very dubious um, and I did actually go along. I just, Mark being Mark, I went to the doctor, says, get your piece of paper now, ask me the 20 questions. I want to be referred. I'm not wasting your time. I might waste time of meeting in 15 minutes. Let's do this now. Walked out of the office 15 minutes later with a paper needed. Two months later, I was called to a, um, yeah, to an organization here in, in Stockholm who, who basically said after, I think about, five or six meetings and everything else as well. You have ADHD. And I said, well, how much? 
And she says, well, on a scale, she goes about 11 on the Richter scale. How does that sound? <laughs> of course, I start telling people about this. And my children in Swedish said, in the direct for tippad papa. In other <laughs> words, they said, well, we always, we've always known, you know. But the thing about it is uh, me being me after getting this diagnosis, I just did a doctorate. I just went straight in, read everything, you know, contacted everything, demanded discussions with everything from psychologists to psychiatrists. I wanted to know what this was and I I wanted to solve this. Mm. This was something, you know, this was something I was going to solve. Um, until I basically landed in the diagnosis, and that's part of the process as well, but I realized you don't solve this. You've had it all your life. Mm. It's part of who you are. It's, it's, it's part of how you operate, but you're 54 now. And one of the things ADHD does uh, when you go into your 50s is that it kind of comes back like a scorpion and sticks you. Yeah. Because what happens is AD, ADHD in children, we, we tend to think about the, the type of children that are very active, you know, very disruptive, that type of thing. As you get older, you basically you basically find unconsciously uh, strategies for dealing with this. I was into sports. I rode motocross at elite niveau. I went ice skating on my own and mailing on this much ice. Yeah. I climbed the Alps. I did everything to get a kick, you know, yeah. and also as a workaholic. But the problem with being 54 is what happens is your normal cognitive breakdown. In other words, forgetting your keys, forgetting somebody's birthday became to forgetting where do I work? Yeah. Why am I even working here? And of course, um, at that age in your 50s, I mean, I was actually when I was diagnosed, I was more or less in the middle of a divorce and a few other things were going on in my life. Mm. Um, and that wasn't much fun. And to be quite honest with you, um, having gotten the diagnosis, I'm actually at that stage seeing a psychiatrist, not as a, as a patient. My girlfriend was a psychiatrist and yeah. he was like, well, yeah, but I thought that was just you. And I go, yeah, yeah that is me. I'm, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm Irish. I'm full of energy. I'm a go-getter. I'm a doer. I'm an initiator yeah. and all of that. But I, I, I seem to be losing the plot here. It, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not working as it's working. If that helps you explain Remember, I have a diagnosis. You have to switch me off. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, and that's the fascinating thing about it, Mark, because there's two elements there that I want to sort of, you know, draw a line between if we can sure. at all, right? Yeah. One is the, one is the man with the diagnosis, right? From sure. the age of 54, ADHD. Yeah. The other is that I've always known you as a survivor, right? So, oh yeah, <laughs> you grew up in Dublin. You grew up. I did. Just in tell Dublin. me a little bit. In, just tell me a little bit about. <laughs> Good man. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Drimna because your family situation was was less than ideal, if we put it. It was that. less than ideal, yeah. I think it wasn't probably unlike a lot of people of my generation growing up in a suburb of Dublin. My father was an alcoholic. Um, he wasn't a particularly pleasant man, drunk or sober. Um, and I've no problem uh, admitting that. Um, there were some good times, but I have to really dig deep to remember them. My mother, of course, uh, would have been what um, she would have been codependent. Um, obviously, she was in this relationship with my father, and she'd married my father, and we'd had five children. Uh, she'd had five children, and um, there was no way she could just walk away from him and his drinking because, you know, um, basically speaking, uh, there were bills to pay, there were children to be reared, and everything else as well. And that was part of the the modus in Dublin, as you can well imagine yourself in the 1960s and 1970s. And I went to a Christian brother school and they weren't very, very nice, to be quite honest with you. Um, I tended to fight back with words and I tended to be the one that got clattered, that type of thing. So I had a very disruptive uh, school year. Um, 
I was what you would call a parentified child. You know, very early on, I was the one that looked after the siblings, even looked after my father, looked after my mother. But of course, I was brought up in a, a very traumatic um, family because, you know, my father was a terrorist. He'd come home and he terrorized the family. And when he didn't come home, we were all waiting for him to come home and this type of thing. And he was, he was physically and, 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 and mentally abusive. Um, basically, he was acting out his own trials and tribulations. I have a theory that, well, I'm not a theory. I know for a fact he had ADHD and he was self-medicating. He chose alcohol. And um, but are you aware of that at the time, Mark? Because like you look around, no, no, the, the no, fellas no, are going to school with that kind of thing. I think, I think, I think in one way, you know, I mean, obviously, since I've gotten the diagnosis, I have seen a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and uh, I have been able to look at these issues. So I think I had an understanding that my family wasn't like most families, although I had one or two girlfriends at the time whose father were alcoholics, and that was a relief. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you were you were ashamed of this. You didn't want people to know, you know, when you met them that, you know, that you, you came from a family that was so dysfunctional as it was. And then when I met, and I still have some contact with some of these people all these years later for these very reasons, I met one or two girls when I was growing up um, who, yeah, my dad's the same, you know, and that was fantastic. That was absolutely, you know, that was, oh, geez, I don't, I don't have to, you know, admit this, or I mean, I, I could, I could walk, in, I could walk in a door in a house, I could smell it. You know, I've got a radar. If you've grown up in an alcoholic family, you can see, you can see the the body movements, you can see the way people talk, or choice. You just, you just know. And of course, um, yeah, that was part of it. I think that I did know, and I have actually some friends now today who's they were in the same situations. Their father were the same type of people, and we talk about it now as adults. You know, um. We, we maybe didn't have the tools. We, we looked after each other. If my father came up the road drunk, one of my friends would go, Mark, let's move to another corner because this will be embarrassing for you. Yeah. You, know, you know, that type of thing. Or if, if, he was, if I was in his house and his father started giving him grief, I'd be going, take it easy, Mr. Kelly. Take it easy. Relax. Yeah, yeah. I knew how to handle this. I'd make a great bouncer. You know, <laughs> I, that's what I do. I walk straight in, fearless into the violence. Right, relax, relax. relax. Yeah. How you know, it's what people in alcoholic families do. Yeah. Um, so it did, it gave me certain skills, you know, probably not a recommend, wouldn't recommend as a way to get skills. <laughs> it was certain people management skills. Yeah. That answers your question. And at the same time, Mark, I'm, I'm thinking of you growing up in that environment. I think you were the eldest in, uh, of your siblings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And- yeah, the eldest of five. We would have been six. Uh, my sister died at uh, six months, a cot death. Yeah. that complicate things at home as well as you I can know. imagine yeah and yeah. yes you know you sort of served your time in the family you were the, the parent in inverted commas to the rest of your siblings yeah. and oh, yeah. your parents but then eventually you moved away right did you did. live anywhere else before you came to Sweden I did indeed um, I went to London uh, I served my time as a machine tool fitter in CIE works in Inchicore mm. and um, I went to London in 1983 and I was dragged off the street. There was so much work for people with a, with a trade. Yeah. And I'd change jobs probably once every six months because somebody says, listen, they're going to give you a tenner more if you walk down with, the road with us. You know, mm. It was so much money. you know. So so the three years I spent there, they were great years. And they were probably from, let's see, I was probably, I was, I was 22 when I left Ireland. I actually finished, I did five years of apprenticeship and I've done a Bolton Street College and an extra year as a, as some sitting gills certs mm. so i probably did about six years all together um during that time so i left at 22 i had a great time london was brilliant mm. but i was being followed by my past yeah. and even at that stage i realized hold on a sec you know i was i was i was 
I was probably brought up uh, in an environment where I was constantly on the look for trouble. I was constantly yeah. solving. Sometimes I became more of a problem than the trouble because I would do a preemptive strike. If I seen yeah. a digger match in a pub, I'd whack the whole, I'd whack everybody in front of me. Yeah. You know, just to go right. I gotta get, I gotta get control of this thing, yeah. and that was very, very good. For the most time, although I did get a few digs myself, that I <laughs> probably, probably deserved them. You know, most I wouldn't say it actually. I never probably ever hit anybody in anger. It was always in self defence, and, and, mm. and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm proud of that. But having been brought up the way I did, I knew how to stop or put things into control because that's what I'd done. And mm. um, that wasn't a particularly good skill when I came to Sweden. And um, wasn't a particularly good skill. When I started to become um, uh, in charge of people, um, it, w- it was there, but it was always something I had to repress, I suppose. Not the violent side of it, but that, 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 no, very, very for control. Yeah, very, yeah, exactly. Your control. I would say that. I would agree with that. Which um, is, let's yeah. press, let's press pause there for one second. Yeah, Mark. Sure, so sure. you've gone through the Christian brothers and like, this is a story that an awful lot of people of our age and, and older, maybe slightly younger will recognize. They didn't understand your greatness. We'll put it that way. Right. They didn't see, yeah, you know, the talent uh, yeah, I would say that yeah, one or two of them did. I mean, there was one guy who was like, Ennis, you're, 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 you're smart, you're sharp. And why did you yeah. just feel there was a lot of that going on. And I, I was, I was very quick. And I remember coming to school one day and he says, I mean, where's your where's your maths homework? I says, Jesus. I said, I wish our piano was here. And the guy says, Why? I said, I left it on the piano. We didn't have a piano, but I got a <laughs> as well, you know. So I was I was very witty, very quick, very sharp, you know. But I just wasn't getting the ten times tables done. Yeah. I wasn't getting the essays done. So so you had that, and you had your family situation, right? And yeah. then you move away to London, and you start yeah. to thrive, and you realize that oh, hang on a second, even if it's only yeah. the employment market, I have value here, right? People oh, are willing yeah. to pay me for my expertise. Oh, yeah. And oh, then yeah. earning a lot of money back then. Yeah, yeah. And, but you also progress because certain people, you know, people are loath to give me management jobs because my mouth is too fucking big, right? But yeah. you were put in positions of responsibility where you had yeah. like you know two dozen, three dozen yeah, people yeah. reporting yeah. to you, right? Yeah, Sweden, America, even even back here in Sweden again. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. does that dovetail then, Mark, with, you know, the sort of the fragmented upbringing plus the diagnosis? Did you ever feel, you know, any sort of imposter syndrome, I can't do this? Or was it the other way around? Like you say, was yeah. the ADHD a few? Yeah, I mean, obviously, of course, yeah, to some degree. But the best way of describing the, uh, the ADHD, it's kind of like yin and yang. You know, it got me into some incredibly difficult situations, but also got me out of it because of that combination of credit, create creativity and the diagnosis. Yeah. So I was able to get into jobs. And I mean, during the period where things were falling down, it's probably best word, I start telling people to pick windows. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you can't really do that. In, 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 you know, it was, it was part of a management team, you know, and like, it, I didn't like what was going on. So you, you, you pick a fucking window. Yeah, they're out of here. Um, you know, so, so, so I would say that uh, I, I suppose I thrived on, I always wanted to be the one that was, you know, it was always this, this, I suppose, what would you call it? Um, I, I've always been in charge. I've been in charge of my brothers and sisters. I've been in charge yeah. of my family. So when I was in charge, people would put me in situations. Good managers would say, just let him do that. He's good at that. You know, yeah. you know, that's what Mark does. Put him in charge of that department. You know, so so for the people who were clever enough to see what I could do, and I thought I found them. I never look for good jobs, I look for good bosses. Yeah. I look for people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. Yeah. So I knew this guy here, see this guy here. He's, he's on one end of the spectrum that suits me. Mm. I picked the sociopaths. 
I picked the gifted bosses that would just say, you know, and, and it worked. It, it worked. It always worked. You know, it worked until some of the dynamic changed that they got in some other person, the management team, and I went, mm, he's got to go. Mm. <laughs> so that type of thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. And did you feel sort of, um, now this, this could probably be extended to family relationships as well, Mark. Did you feel more secure? Because as an adult, you had that control that maybe you couldn't have had as a child. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I'd say that, um, yeah, to some degree, only, only when your when your control is part of your own locus, it's fine. But when I start realizing that I was making mistakes or, or things weren't working out, I was forgetting stuff, seriously forgetting stuff. That's when you begin to doubt your own ability. So up until that point, the control was easy for me. Mm. I, mean, I could walk into a room with people and take over. I could, I could get people to march towards. Moscow, you know, I mean, yeah. I had, I, I still, probably still have those abilities, but to be honest, um, um, it was, it was, it was more to the point that, um, and you make a very, very good point about control because I think part of uh, growing up in uh, abuse of alcoholic families is that you are losing control to a certain degree because, uh, the, I mean, one of the easiest way to describe this is the whole concept of disassociation that you will actually split yourself up so that certain parts of you can survive in these situations that's also a way of losing control you know there's no center in all of this so you mentioned imposter syndrome of course you know it was faking it like it was making it many many times so control was easy for me as an adult because i chose the jobs where it was the boss yeah i chose the groups you know i, I don't i don't join a fishing club i take over the fishing club yeah yeah i don't i don't become a member of attention i become the 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 uh, a part of the board of directors that, you know that that's that and, and that's because maybe it is a need it's become less and less i have to admit that you know i have a, I have a very good distance to myself now but to, to the to, 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 to bring it back to the situation where i got the diagnosis see that was falling apart mm. what was happening there was that i was no longer able to control i was no longer staying on top of the tasks that being given i was mm. forgetting shit big time I wasn't delegating things anymore. I wasn't managing. I was doing. Yeah. So basically speaking, I was going back to my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, you know. So and did, did that worry you at the time, Mark? Because you know, oh, like worry, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that became a, a very big part of what I do now for um um uh Yarn Call. Yarn Call yeah. is basically an organization here in Sweden that looks after people's mental health. You know, uh, uh, regardless of age, regardless of religion, regardless of everything, it's it's it's, it's a fantastic organisation, mm-hmm. and I'm what's known as an ambassador. Um, my job is to go and to lecture in Swedish on my own experiences with the diagnosis, but I do actually do um, one uh, lecture. I do is actually on uh, depression on a depressive mm-hmm. episode. When you talk about worry, um, if I go back to when I before I got the diagnosis, when things were falling down, I had bills to pay. I just yeah. bought a new apartment. I had kids, even if they say we were able to look after ourselves. I'm still being the, you know, the young guy in Dublin looking after the family. So I yeah. went into fix-it mode. But the anxiety was enormous, so much so that I've actually written a short story, which I use. Uh, it's called The Black Dog. Uh, yeah. Black Dog is my way of, um, how should I say, a gestalt for what depression was. It was actually a, a, a very good very important person in my life. She, um, she was she's a psychologist. Um, she said, um, "How's the dog doing today?" And I mean, which dog? And then I yeah. started to realize what she was doing. The dog that follows you around. And I go, "What are you talking about? Mm. Are you seeing shit? Am I seeing shit?" What are you 
the black dog and I got it. I got it. I finally got it. You know, yeah. now I wouldn't say I'm a depressive person, but I know what it's like to be depressed and I know what it's like to be depressed over a long time. And I know how debilitating, how scary and how absolutely isolating that is because you are trapped in a box yeah. and if you can separate you from the condition and that's the hardest part and say, it's the black dog. Right? Yeah. The first step right here. So, so, so worried is not the word I was, I was actually shitting myself, you know, yeah. for want of better words, because I was losing control over, you know, my ability to pay bills, to live the lifestyle it was leading to all of those things, you know, even if I had, I had all the resources in the world, but because of my condition and because of my upbringing, there was, I suppose, omnipotent, you know, I, I didn't mm. accept anything but a hundred percent control, yeah. 100% fixed. And even if people were saying, Mark, for sake, you, you don't need to worry. You have money, you have friends, you have everybody around you. I couldn't see it. I couldn't mm. see it. You know, so, so, so really what I do is, um, uh, with this essay that I, I actually use as a, uh, a lecture, I, I let people, I, I show them, you know, I, I show them, I tell my own story. I'm not yeah. lecturing them, I'm not telling them what to do. I'm just saying, listen, you know, this is what can happen. I've been there. I know exactly how it feels. And, and that brings me, I suppose, to the reason why I rang you, because um, one thing I'm very aware of is um, my feeling back then was an Irish person in Sweden. And, you know, part of being part of the Irish diaspora, there's a lot of people out there who've called me. Mm. People, I have put a lot of stuff out there on the internet in Swedish. They've asked me about, you know, where could I get help? Are there English-speaking psychologists here in Sweden? What, what organizations could I get in contact with? Because what happens is, and I'm sure a lot of people recognize this, if you're in Sweden, you've lived here all the years, everything in your life is what you've created since you came here. Mm. Your wife is probably Swedish, your husband is probably Swedish, your kids are probably Swedish. And if, for example, you get into a situation where things aren't working, you lose a job. You get into divorce. Now, depression can be brought on simply by the pressures of all of that. Mm. I just happened to have ADHD. So I just went the full platter. Mm. I went the whole thing. But one of the things I have actually thought about quite a lot is how isolating that is. Because all of a sudden, you're on your own here. Mm. And, you know, you know, if you're in Ireland, you could, or I'm guessing, haven't lived there in 40 years, I'd imagine you'd be easier to find help or be easier to find people to talk to or be able to work things out. Because, you know, modern Ireland does talk about mental health issues, mm. fantastically so. I've witnessed that when I was at home recently mm. from my stew injection or my coddle injection. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I know how that is. But, but me being me, I was able to mobilize my resources, but I was in a very, very dark place, mm. you know. The person who helped me with the black dog, I'm forever indebted to because it was a very, very dark place. Mm. And I'm kind of wondering about, you know, are, are not only are Irish people, but we say people who are here because I do actually run, a, even even in, 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 the, in the work I do with the attention, I do run to a lot of people from different cultures, different languages and everything else. Mm. The first thing I thought about when I was at home in Ireland was that people talk a lot about how difficult things have been. And we're talking suicide, we're talking depression, we're talking... You know, you know the, the the lack of resources for PA at the house, that type of thing, all of these type of things because of the, the corona. Yeah. You know, what I'm thinking like you add that to somebody being abroad. So say, let's say you're here, you get divorced. Anybody who's been in divorce knows how that feels. Mm. Anybody who's lost their job definitely knows how that feels. Yep. That fear. You know, you can't you can't fall back and just weed spuds out back. You're in Sweden now. Yeah. And anybody who's got into a depressive situation, you put those three things together, and it's a very very dark face. Mm. but I've been there 
I'm part of what I do. And maybe this is what it is. I'm very, very thankful that I'm healthy and I was able to get where I am today. Maybe payback. That's why I do the pro bono stuff. Yeah. But I do it in Swedish. Yeah. You know? So, so you know, I've, I've sent you actually a video where it was done by Swedish television. Yeah. Where I'm telling my story walking down the streets of Dublin. I yep. said to my brothers, go, what are you saying there? About <laughs> it is. And it's I actually it's... said something about the da. What did yep. you say? It's it's actually a very useful video and like one of these days I'm gonna put yeah. subtitles on it in English. Uh, but, yeah, but, maybe, yeah, maybe, but, yeah. But what yeah. is available then, Mark? Because on both sides of it, right? one is one is the depression issue, the other is a diagnosis for something like ADHD yeah. or autism. Yeah. So for Irish people in Sweden or for non-Swedes who haven't grown sure. up in the system, absolutely. because absolutely. like you say, whatever about things going wrong and feeling lonely back home, I do think that that is yeah. absolutely magnified. And there's so yeah. many lads, we Not all know them. Yeah. You know, so yeah. what would be available to people who need that kind of help? Do you know? Well, there are. To be quite honest, uh, there's. And I'm certainly, if you're going to put this up on the net, I'll certainly send you all the links. Yeah. There are. There are quite a few. Um, they would typically be Swedish. Uh, they're everything from Man Centrum. Uh, you have actually Attention, which I think is a great organisation. And um, there are a lot of healthcare providers who actually offer um, consultations for whatever, you know, whether it's depression, you know, putting people in the right direction and they're available in English. But um, to be honest, when you go looking for these, you don't find them, especially if you're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the middle of it, you're, I ended up on forums with English people, you know, yeah. uh, because, you know, in the UK I found, you know, and, and they were, this is like quite a few years ago, they were quite primitive, you know, it was people more or less bulletin boards putting up mm. how things were. But you see, not just because I had ADHD, but it was kind of like um, just to be able to discuss, you know, mobilizing. Because I really, you know, people talk about, you know, what's the word they say in, in Swedish? Gordon Vegan hitting the wall. Hitting the wall, yeah. See, I didn't hit the walls. I went through the, that wall, the next wall, the wall yeah. after. There was no walls left. I didn't have a wall to go into. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I was standing there in the dust going, who do I talk to? And, you know, there's shame. Yeah. There's uh, fear. You know, I mean, and it's all of that, you know, and 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 really when I started to look around, now, I have to be honest, I was very, very lucky. Remember, I had healthcare professionals all around me. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even tell them. And eventually, and I actually read a very good friend of mine here who I'd called up, uh, one of my best friends, actually, I've known since I came here. And I rang him up one day, said, listen, I'm in the shits here. He goes, what's wrong? He said, actually, I'm lonely. It's the only word I could find to it. And he was in shock. How the fart truck can you be lonely? Yeah. You know everybody you know you 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 look after people who are lonely you know and i went out and had this talk with this guy and i told him what was going on and a great friend that he is he listened and one of my greatest skills i'm getting better um he um he just said well okay here's the deal um let's let's try and get this fixed you know so it was almost like the first part of call for me wasn't who it was the ability to be able to admit that I've, I've, I've definitely, I've, I've blown it up. I've pressed yeah. the button here, you know. I need help and here. It didn't even look outwardly, everything looked fine, you know. And it says, I just, I just, I think I've actually losing my job because I just told the management team to pick a window. Mm. And that was true. The management team called me back and said, Mark, what's going on? I said, I don't know. And I just, I actually negotiated. I just, I, just, I negotiated an Afghans via the log um, a package for a year, yeah. And during that year, I, basically started my solve the ADHD. It took me about almost a year to realize you don't need to solve this. You mm. just need to be part of this. And during that time, I got about uh, three, two different jobs. Each lasted 5.9 months before I told them to 
Off you go. Window again, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I went back to those people and explained. I even went back uh, to my boss who had worked for for 10 years and I told him and he was almost in tears. He goes, I have it as well. <laughs> okay. Goes, really? Yeah. My <laughs> daughter had got a diagnosis and I says, well, you know, I said, Jesus, that's the case. I said, the chances are pretty big. Um, yeah. But no, that's okay because again, you know, it was the fear that was debilitating and yeah. it was the shame that was debilitating. But when Mark start putting the pieces back together again then my resources who i am as a person came back and i said i'm not going to hide this yeah i'm not going to you know i mean you know and some people might say jesus i mean even my son dad you're not going to get a t-shirt with adhd on it yeah <laughs> it's on the way i've just ordered it you know so so i had no problem with that you know but but i you know i might make it sound jovial now but i remember what it was like being back there it was a very very dark place mm. and you know to answer your question yes there are there are plenty of places and, you know, some people may not feel like, you know, telling the people around them, you know, that they're in a very, very bad shape. So there are professional organizations and I'll give you a list of those organizations and there are people you can definitely talk to because Sweden does this very, very well. You reckon, they, yeah? Oh, they do. Yeah. I, I actually work, I sell uh, medical equipment to neurologists and uh, mm. audiologists. I, I spend every day in a, I'm in a hospital. I'm actually in SUS at the moment. Yeah. My office is under the hospital. Um, so what I do is I speak to doctors every day and I see what goes on in hospitals. You know, I I, I, I visit uh, yesterday, what was Friday? I was at Sophia Hemet. I, I went over to Rose and Lunds here. So I see what's going on and people complain about, you know, all oh, the queues, this and that. The thing about Sweden is when things do go wrong, this is a great place to be. There's yeah. actually an ADHD centrum across the road here, which I haven't even visited yet. Yeah. I go over there and say hi sometime. Um, but there's also fantastic mental health both public and private yeah public takes a little bit longer mm. private but in the private you have to navigate as well i mean you can't just it's like it's like choosing a meal you know i didn't yeah. talk to somebody the way we're going to we're going to talk to an indian person an italian person irish person oh that's mm. great generalization but there are actually english-speaking therapists out there and they're english people doing what i do Mm. one of the groups i've been there's actually a woman from england you know yeah. who, you know you know and, and 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 there for the same reasons so there there is help that's what i would like to say um and one of the things is that um these uh, situations people get into may not have been as dramatic as my situation remember the, the adhd kind of fueled the whole shebang yeah but, you know losing a job here in sweden especially in your 50s is a pretty scary place to be yeah yeah so there's ageism out there and there's like well I, I did actually work for this company for 25 years how will i find a new company how do i pay but that's a very very scary place to be yeah divorce is a hugely scary place to be because all of a sudden it, you know, you know, you know, you're not getting invited to Christmas parties like you used to as a couple. You're not yeah. able to have drinks on a nice Saturday night as a couple. And all of a sudden, you're, you're you know, people are advising, well, why don't you go on one of those online datings? I don't know what you've been on there. I have. You've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you meet a person. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful people out there, but I've met some of the most scary people in my life. They probably said the same about me. True hey, enough. This guy looked great on paper when I met him. No, unmedicated ADHD. The guy just went through me. You know, yeah. like, you know, so I, I went to his house and he gave me coddle. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but actually, Mark, now that you mentioned it, one of the questions yeah. I was going to ask you yeah. was that question about medication, right? Because right. And this is both in terms of depression and ADHD. Uh, yeah. You mentioned they're unmedicated. So you don't take yeah. anything for the ADHD. I don't know. I don't. I don't. And I did. Look, to be honest, if I walk past a chemist, I feel good. 
mm. I, I, I always get 10% of what you're meant to be given and all that. So I have contact with a very, very good psychiatrist who, um, who basically said, I'm going to try on the lowest dose possible. And I went, yes, yeah, try that. And it worked because I was quite anxious and I was all over the place in the yep. beginning. And basically what the medicine does is that everybody has certain chemicals in their brain that are used for different things. In other words, if you want to uh, run away from something, some chemical kicks in and gets your body mm -hmm. to do that. If you want to be calm, there are chemicals that we can, we can actually influence these. You know, if you run up and down a set of stairs, your body's primed for that. If you give yourself a fright, your body's primed for that. If you do some meditation, you know, certain nervous systems kicks in. So the medication I took was basically a central stimulant that was able to help me use chemicals that were already in my brain. Yeah. So I wasn't able to take these up. It's as simple as that. There's lots of bullshit about what those chemicals are. It's a derivative of amphetamine. It's not yeah. amphetamine, amphetamine. It's a thousand times less a dose mm. of what people would associate with people abusing substances. So this tiny, tiny dose of medicine. Actually, I went from looking at an Excel spreadsheet and going, I hate Excel to mm. I love Excel. <laughs> Three hours later, I'm going, you're still doing Excel. This is dead. So, so it gave me those tools and it, it brought back a certain um, uh, control locus and planning and organizing. And I started to find things like, uh, how shall I say, uh, apps that were helping me remember stuff, apps mm -hmm. that would help me plan stuff and things that were working as strategies where without the medicine, it was just a unguided missile. Yeah, yeah. Now I only took it for about two years because what happened was I was on the tiniest dose available. They based it on your weight, your degree of ADHD, remember it's on mm -hmm. a spectrum, even if I'm, if I'm quite over here. So, 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 so I stopped, I stopped about, um, about a year ago. She says, why? I says, well, to be honest, you know, okay, I come here in the morning, you know, and, um, I don't do anything until 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And if I took the medicine at eight o'clock, I'd start working at eight, but I don't go home till six. So what yeah. do you do? Well, I do yoga. I, uh, you know, I look at fishing gear, you know, <laughs> I do. And I, and somebody calls and go, yes, you know, uh, yes, Mark, medical equipment, how can I help you? Fine. And I call them back when I'm ready. So I'm, you know, I'm much more so, but I do realize my colleague, she's fantastic. She's an audiologist. And when we go to customers, she says, she goes, what's the visit today? And I says, we're going to help them with problems. Take your medicine. You know, because I'll sit there and listen. Oh, really? Tell me about childhood, you know, we're going to sell something to go. Well, let me tell you about <laughs> our stuff and the show starts so I can regulate it, you know. But, yeah. but again, the medication, a lot of people get scared about this, especially when it comes to uh, um, neurological uh, diagnosis. It's really only a tool. You yeah. can actually run up and down a flight of stairs for 10 minutes and you get the same effect. Yeah, yeah. At 59, although, although I'd like to do it, I'd rather take the tablet. And I, and I don't, you know, I'd probably... I did go to one customer who I believe is definitely need a help, a neurologist. He's a bit schizophrenic, nice guy, bad guy. And I go, it's going to be a bad day with this neurologist. So I'll take the medicine. I went in and said, tell me about your problems, you know. Yeah. I, like, he got, I just, he, the whole room just went like this, you know. Because normally I go in and go, okay, okay, okay. So, 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 so I was very lucky in that sense. And nobody needs to be afraid of this because an, an ADHD diagnosis is not an, an automatic assumption that you're going to be on medication. It's not. It's yeah. just a point in your life. And the most important thing about getting the diagnosis for me was that they gave me an opportunity to look back on how things had been up to now. Mm.
Does that provokes another question, Mark, to do with medication yeah. and you know what, what's in your sure. past, so to speak? Because you know you, you described your father as being somebody who's self-medicated with yeah, alcohol. Yeah. What's okay. your own relationship to alcohol like? Did you worry when you no, were? No, yeah, no I, I'll be honest. Uh, you see, growing up and that, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't drink till I was in my twenties. I was very, very anti-alcohol. You know, um, mm. I might have tried other substances in Dublin growing up, like a lot of people of my age and. It didn't work that well either. I, I kind of became a purist in that way because I felt that, you know, I'd seen what had happened with alcohol, actually seen what happened with drugs as well around me to yeah. a large degree. So I steered clear of that. But there were sometimes living in London now where I felt after a binge because I, like everybody else, there were weekends where you start drinking at five on a Friday and you stop that, you know, uh, eight in the morning on a Monday. And I was going, what is going on here? But it was always a built-in metronome going, yeah. walk away walk away this is not good for you walk yeah. away and it's not about courage or presence of mind it's just a built-in whatever this was inside me it was this shit's bad walk away and i did and um i think that uh i'm i've actually failed miserably with my irish party drinking credentials you know as as a stereotype that is when i was in dublin for a month i walked into dublin every day and at one point again it's in mulligans and pool beg street it's like yeah. mecca you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I, I went in there and I was waiting for the door to open and I'd be in an argument with a three barman after five minutes over what part of CIE work was built before the other come in and jail, you know, yeah. the usual. <laughs> and at one point again, I go, that's me. And I get the get the get the Lewis back, the Daniel Day Lewis back to 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 Drimna. Um and to be honest, uh, I probably have a very, very sound, you know, a very sound I I, I keep an eye on my friends when it comes to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two children, Anton, uh, 29, and Leo, uh, 23 soon, um, they uh, they have a, a pretty sound as well. And I've often asked, you know, you know, I mean, I'd say, like, I'll ask them and they go, no, we're not alcoholics, you know, mm-hmm. where were you last night? No, we're not alcoholics, you know, and I feel very proud of that. Not something I, 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 I don't think I actually contribute, you know, uh, uh, how should I say, proactively to, they, they seem to have inherited yeah, pretty good, and they're healthy. You know, they they, they do the, the healthy things, and we do talk about it. I mean, we talk about my situation. We talk about their situation, stress. I'm, I'm more afraid of stress than alcohol. Let me tell you right now, mm. stress is the killer. Yeah, stress together with any diagnosis is the killer. Stress mm. and workaholic will kill you. Stress and ADHD will definitely kill you. Mm. So again, to talk about the medication, what 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 I what I what I would 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 do to clarify this is. You need to keep the stress down. Now, that's the hard part. That's mm. the actual part of whatever help people ADHD will get. Well, first of all, you have it, right? That's it. And here's the good stuff and here's the bad stuff. Mm. You need to look at ways of navigating through this. And here's the really bad stuff is the stress. Now, I know I'm drawing this one out, but this is a very important point. I've interviewed and have uh, uh, taken on board uh, a really good uh, psychologist in, uh, in here in Stockholm called Bella Stainsness. She specializes in stress hmm. and she gives lectures about this. So we've invited her into uh, one of the organizations to speak in front of the groups. And she talks about what they call Randigadog or strike days. Yeah. That's as a psychologist says that our brains and our body are designed to work very, very hard, but not all of the time. Yeah. And if you don't take a rest and if you don't put this into your strategy, no matter who you are, what you are what you have where you are in life it'll kill you mm. and the reality of that is that when i started looking back at my life i love stress and mm. i go funny that's the chemical you're missing in your brain 
aha yeah so all of those things i was doing was because yeah and all of that suffering the people around me did was because yeah like i actually had my ex tell somebody one time you're going to climb everest don't bring mark because if your leg falls off he'll go f it keep going we're going, we're going, we're going. <laughs> I'm dying here. Just breathe through your ears. No, no pain. No, I just, I just totally autopilot. But it's the stress thing, you see, and that's part of the workaholic thing. Mm-hmm. Now, that lady, that psychologist, her recommendation was that find somewhere in your daily life. Don't wait until the weekend to take it easy because you'll have tons of shit to do there. Definitely don't wait till Christmas because that's the most stressful time of the year. And don't wait till your holidays because most people's holidays, the first two weeks, are just trying to wind up killing each other mm. before they start regretting that they're going to have to go back at the end of it. So why not put this in, whether it's yoga, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's breathing, or what I do, I go for a walk every day. Yeah. I walk at least five, sometimes 10, when I was in Dublin, 20 kilometers a day. That's my thing. That's what yeah. I do. Good pair of shoes, out I go. I have them in the car, no matter where I am. And I live in a Volvo because I travel all over Sweden and Scandinavia. Mm. But what I do, I can walk. And that's what I do. And people say to me, we have to meet in 10 minutes. I couldn't give a fire truck. I'm out yeah. walking. You know? And it's really important. That's about self-respect as well. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself in front and saying, I need to do this to stay sane. And when you're out walking like that, Mark, I find this fascinating, right? Because I always found that, you know, your mind is going with you. So can you switch off? Can you say, right, I'm just going to enjoy I nature I here? Consciously. I don't think I do it consciously. I think that... Um, no, I, I mean, I, I do sometimes if I, I, I listen, one of the great things I've discovered recently is uh, Michael Harding's podcasts. If you okay. Those, he has one of these voice, I'm sitting here looking out the window at the trees. And Aaron, <laughs> he's brilliant. He's an ex-priest. He's written a few books, if you haven't read them. They're very, very good. And um, he's secular. This guy, I mean, he yeah. says what he says. But I just find that there are certain things I will listen to. I listen to certain music, but I also listen to what's going on around. But I just feel that if I know I'm going to be walking for an hour, then whatever comes up, I can deal with it in that hour. Now, yeah. it might be, you know, things that are going on in work and everything else, but I have learned a hell of a lot of skills over the last couple of years. So remember, I'm, I'm five years into this diagnosis now, mm. and I have uh, learned a lot of skills about, you know, how to be less anxious, how to be, you know, how to separate all of those things I have to do at work, how to go home at five o'clock and leave them behind. Mm. And I do so. And I think one of the main things I do do when I'm out walking is when these things go up, I realize there's a part of me inside of my childhood. I go, listen, I'm 59. You're out walking with me right now. Mm. Don't worry about that. We'll fix it. Now, what yeah. would you like to do instead? Or I'd like to look at the ducks. Why don't we look at the ducks? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's just self. What can I say? It's not self-management. That's a horrible word. It's self-care. Yeah. It's self-care. Because see, that's a huge part. No psychologist will be able to cure you, fix you, put you back. All they do is they facilitate your own healing, mm. your own ability to get on top of your things. Now, on top of is the wrong word there as well. Because a lot of it is letting go of control. A mm. huge part of it is. When it comes to ADHD, letting go of control, that's a no-no, because that is not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be honest, I, I think the amount of money I spent on um, mindfulness books and tapes, I remember telling somebody one time that, yeah, it's like this, you know, I listen to a tape, and the tape starts off with, picture yourself by the side of a river. <laughs> the leaves are flowing by one by one. Yep. And I go, hey, Macarena. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Two minutes into it, Mark is going, hey, Waste of money. 
So but, yeah, that's not working. That's not working. So so what I do is I do something called mindfulness in motion. I actually just walk and I listen to my feet. I listen to the steps. I count the steps and walking up. And basically, in in professional terms, not that I'm a professional, all you're doing is you're bringing yourself down. You're you're setting what's known as the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a nervous system that brings you down. You know when you see the antelopes at the river and the crocodile comes, they run mm -hmm. off five yep. minutes later. Well, see, they have that built in, but we as humans don't. We 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 keep the pressure or we add it to whatever's going on. Mm. So all you're doing is a trick. You just you know you either breathe or you just you know I'll I'll count you know I'll count you know how many steps to the next tree, and you're focusing. That's all meditation mm. is really is that you're shutting out everything else. But all of this, you know, where you have to do it in a certain way, that's bullshit yeah. you do whatever works for you mm. you know i'll actually many yellow cars will go by and all of a sudden i'm looking for yellow cars i've forgotten what's doing me i go bastard was that yellow or orange <laughs> i have to run after it go you've adhd <laughs> your, your, your adhd is kicked in let the car go walk away doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> mark, yeah, that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a distance to yourself realizing that you know why you're doing this mark i do yeah that's a good reminder Telling I, yourself not to judge yourself is the right thing to do. Don't yeah. judge me. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's most of it, mostly ourselves that we have to yeah, uh, instruct to do that. Absolutely. I've only one last question for you, Mark. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Are you happy? Very much so. Um, I would say that happiness isn't the state of mind, but I I I actually disagree with that. I think that I was very, very lucky to be born with an overdose of happy chromosomes. I, I, I do look for the happiness in life. I look for the happiness in people. I have the gift of the gab. Uh, and I, I would say that I would be happy more than not. Mm. And if I'm not happy, I definitely find out why. And I have the ability to do that. Um, I would say that, yeah, I would say I am very, very happy. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm happy all of the time. Um, but yeah, for the most part, absolutely. What? Well, I'll tell you something for nothing. I'm very happy that I spoke to you and I'm very happy that yeah. people will get a chance to listen to your experiences. Mark Ennis, thanks so Absolutely. much for talking to me. And, I, and again, I will add again, uh, the main idea was here that I will send you over some links sure. so people can look at things. Uh, look at, and, and, and as I said, uh, my whole reason to do this myself is that I've been in a very, very dark place. Hmm. I know what it's like to be there and I certainly know and can give some advice for people what to do because uh, it's, as, um, it's as normal as anything else, you know. Indeed. More normal um, than And I'm sure there's an awful lot of people out there could use this, that advice at this dark well, time of the year. But for now, Mark, I'm sure it's a subject we'll return to. But for now, thanks very much indeed. Absolutely. Take it easy, Philip. You've called being on the spectrum your superpower. Why? Um, because it helps me see things in a way that others might not see. And it, it just helps me be different, which I think is a superpower where in a society where everyone is the same, where everyone thinks the same, everyone looks the same. Kirtha, this theme of um, intersectionality, of bringing in other things, is this an important thing to do to widen the debate, do you think? Oh, sorry, this theme, the theme. Yeah, not team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go, that's me little pal, Greta Thunberg, giving me a bit of stick there over me Dublin THs. Uh, in a previous interview there, you heard her talking about describing her autism or being on the autism spectrum as being a superpower. And uh, that last little clip that you heard there was me talking to her last October. Geta's one of those people that she's such a huge international figure that you end up interviewing her every second week. And... Um, 
it's it's interesting really because you know her being on the autism spectrum you know she doesn't look like to look people in the eye or that kind of thing but over time um she's kind of warned to be a little bit you, you start to to understand how she wants to do things and that and now we're at the stage where she can take the piss out of my Dublin accent and uh, she also appreciates the fact that um, I take the piss out of one of our dogs for being from Cork. So uh, that's about the size of it for this week. As I say, this time next week, or you know, by the time next week's episode drops, I will hopefully be in China. You know, it's <laughs> the amount of hurdles we have to get over to get to the uh, Olympics is going to be incredible. But I will hopefully be there. So over the coming weeks, there is going to be a little bit of a spoke focus on sport. Um. There'll be a couple of different interviews. Some with our active Olympic athletes are going to be representing Ireland whilst they're there in China. Uh, there's also going to be an interview with Aoife Hoey Prince here in Stockholm who took part in the Vancouver Olympics for Ireland in 2010 and she has an absolutely amazing story to do with uh, being part of the bobsleigh team and injury and all sorts of mishaps. Well, it's just an amazing story and that's already done, ready to go. So uh, I'm hoping to bring all those things to you. For the next couple of hours or a couple of days probably I'm going to be editing those podcasts and putting them up and getting them ready to go for even while I'm away so if I do go dark on social media if all you're seeing is sort of you know scheduled post comments out there don't worry don't worry I'll be fine I'll be over in China doing what I'm doing at the Olympics uh, if you can't get in touch with me but please do continue to support the show uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm that's the way that suits me best because that's that means that you're making a small contribution every month and if we can get a few hundred people doing that well then I'll have an awful lot less to worry about uh, if you want to make a once off contribution and feel free uh, it's a bit like voting in the local elections back home feel free to do so uh, little and often is the way to do it uh, one two three twenty four twenty four one six six is the swish number one two three twenty four twenty four one six six and if you want to advertise or sponsor the podcast you can do so at irish and sweden podcast at gmail.com send me an email and again a reminder to the big companies who are working over here now uh, especially on the bigger projects, bigger construction product, projects and that kind of thing. Uh, if you want to support something for the community, this is the place to go, lads. You know, we're here, we're talking about sport, we're talking about mental health, we're talking about local Irish businesses, and we're trying to give uh, your employees something to, to listen to. So if you want to advertise, you want to sponsor, please, please do get in touch and uh, we'll keep the lights on. But again, you know, we'll finish the way we do every week. Look after yourselves and look after one another and look forward to another Irish and Sweden podcast this time next week. In the meantime, mind yourselves. Mm-hmm.